Hello, everybody. My name is Paula, and a little bit of background on me. I come from a very large family, a very close-knit family of 10. Uh, my parents, I have six sisters and one brother, who happens to be the baby of the family. Um, growing up, we attended church every Sunday, where it involved a lot of tradition and doing good deeds. For me, it was something to just check off the box. Although we did all the religious stuff, I never, ever knew God. I was actually very afraid of him. I was never taught about a loving God, so I lived with a lot of guilt. I lived with a lot of guilt, and I just tried hard to be a really good person. At one point, when I wanted to marry someone outside of that faith, I was excommunicated. So I happily walked away from that faith. I spent the next decade or more enjoying, or so I thought, all the pleasures of life. And today, I still tr struggle being a fully devoted follower of Christ. But as 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10 declares, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now on to my story and what brought me to grief share. I lost Michael, my husband, my co-worker, and my absolute best friend of 15 years, very suddenly and unexpectedly, the night of Sunday, June 6, 2004. We were actually out celebrating my birthday and our wedding anniversary with my older sister and her hubby, who flew in for the weekend, along with our best couple friend here in Dallas. I had planned this months earlier to be at the Cotton Bowl for a huge three-day benefit concert. Michael was really outgoing. He had that never-met-a-stranger personality. All day long, he was up and down, and he wasn't one to sit still. And every time he came back, he told me about all of his new friends, like the Dallas police officers who let him use all their facilities. He was really funny, always made me laugh. About 9.45 that night, just before the big finale, when all the performers were to come on stage with Eric Clapton, Michael turned to me and he said, hey, give me a kiss. I need to go take a shower. The police officers let me use their showers. And he goes, I'm all sweaty. And I replied back, no way, you are way too sweaty. And he goes, please, give me a kiss. So I did, and he said to me, I love you. You're the best thing in my life. And they jumped up and took off. And little did I know, these would be the last words he ever said to me. About 10.10, he wasn't back, so I called, and I got his voicemail. I said, where are you? You're missing, back. You're missing the best part. Hurry back. Another 10 minutes go by, I get his voicemail, and it's nowhere. About 10.30, my phone rings, and it says, unlisted phone number. I answer it, and a lady asks if I'm Paula Brown. And I said, yes, who are you? And she said, I'm a nurse at Baylor Hospital. Now, for some reason, I blurted out, please give me your number in case we get disconnected. I won't be able to get back with you. So she did. And then she asked me if I was married to a Michael Brown. I said, yes, why? Is he okay? And her reply was, it's serious. You need to come to Baylor Hospital's ER now. You know, looking back, she never said he is serious or anything about his condition. And I guess that should have been a clue. But in my mind, I just knew he was dehydrated. It was early June, and it was hot. I grabbed all of my stuff, and along with my sister and husband, we tried to hail down a cab. 
Had I known ba Baylor was only four blocks from the Cotton Bowl, I would have run there. But we got one and we raced to the ER. When I walked in and told him who I was, and I was told I had to wait. And I wanted to see Michael now. After about five minutes of waiting, I looked at my sister Kelly and I said, something's not right. They're making me wait too long. Just then a nurse comes walking through a swinging doors asking for me. I walk to her and I said, yes, this, I'm Paula, is he okay? She gave me a faint smile, turned and said, please come in this room with me. I looked up and over the door it said family room. I immediately yelled, no, I know why you're wanting me to go in there and I won't go. She looked at me with tears in her eyes and all she could say was, I'm so sorry. That's when I totally lost it. I was jumping up and down and I was screaming, no, I don't want to, I want to go see him. I just would not believe what she was saying. I was told by the nurse that he died of a massive heart attack. And based on his regimen and his appearance, it was really hard for me to digest. He was only 48 years old. I was also told that I had to go into that room because that was a business and I was making too much of a commotion. I couldn't talk, I couldn't cry, I couldn't do anything. I was not allowed to ever go see him. And then some type of religious man, a minister I suppose, walked in and he asked if he could do anything for me and I didn't say this out loud, but in my head I was thinking, what could he possibly do for me now? I couldn't even think to ask him to pray for me or with me. And I don't think I would have felt this or even cared about this had an important event happened, not happened in our lives four months prior. You see, Michael and I were together 15 years, but we lived most of it in sin, meaning we lived together unmarried for 11. We partied hard on the weekends, but we were justified in our thinking because we worked so hard. We're, you know, looking back, it was selfish, self-centered lives, but we were having the time of our lives, or so we thought. But we both felt really empty inside, so in 1999, we started asking questions, and we found a, a local church that we really enjoyed. And looking back, I see how God never abandoned me, even though I was really a rebellious child. He, but he was patiently waiting for me. Second Peter 3, 9 states, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to, rep to repent. After reading that and understanding that, wow, what a merciful and gracious God we have. But although we had been attending church since 99, we still had one foot in the world, and it was only in early 2004 when our church was one of thousands that was reading The Purpose Driven Life. And that's when Michael and I truly recognized and understood what it meant to recognize ourselves as sinners and we needed to repent and surrender our lives to Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. I really felt when I understood that my lifetime feelings of guilt were totally gone. And a feeling of calm suddenly came over me, and I said out loud to my sister, we just got saved in February. It was four months prior. Michael's with the Lord. It gave me a lot of comfort. I was given all of his personal items, and we left on the way home. I remember it just in my head, asking God over and over, 
what do you want me to learn from this? It was never a question of why. Just tell me, what do you want me to learn from this? What are you trying to show me? The next four days were a blur. On Tuesday, which was my actual birthday, I was writing his obituary. On Thursday, which was our wedding anniversary, I was having his funeral service. What was planned to be the best weekend ended up being the worst week of my life. And to be honest, because we were new in this Christian lifestyle, I backslid a lot. We owned our own business. I walked away from it. But instead of care taking care of myself emotionally, I threw myself into several church ministries and activities. I have learned since then that I was just in major denial, and I did not want to accept it. I just wanted to stay busy, and what better way than to help others? Grief Share has taught me all the things I did wrong in my recovery process. I just wish I had started a lot earlier. We did everything together. We had no children, so walking into an empty room or empty home was gut-wrenching. The only thing that got me to open my door every day was I knew on the other side it was a precious dog the two of us adopted two months earlier, and I would often thank God for this gift. Many days, my little buddy was the only thing that got me through each day. My family was very supportive, but they all live in other states. I could really relate to the ladies in these videos this evening about the loneliness. It was a really long 10 weeks before I found out from the coroner, and I was really shocked that I was told that he had an 80 and 90% blockage in his arteries. And for someone who ran daily, did marathons, and worked out, to drop dead at age 48 was just, you know, shocking. But I did thank God for giving me almost 15 years with Michael. I'm able to say I could thank God in my darkest moments, but I also said I backslid. I could be a poster child for what you do wrong. I became very close with my bottle of wine. My daily routine was simple. I get up early, I go work out, do errands or volunteer, come home, nap for up to four hours, wake up, drink a bottle of wine. And I was hiding all of this from my church friends. I was raised to pull up your bootstraps and no complaining, so I kept many of my feelings internal. And I'll be honest, it took me three years before I faced my feelings. God has been and continues to be very patient with me. Once I did become honest with myself, I started trust again and open up. And I realized that I was angry. I was angry that out of 50,000 people at a concert, one person dies, and that's my husband? But I still could never bring myself to say that I was angry with God. I still felt like I was too unworthy to question Him and why He allowed this to happen. When I came across Grief Share here at Watermark, I immediately wanted to get involved so I could help others. I still needed help myself, but I didn't realize that until I came here. I've since learned it's okay to cry, to grieve, to be angry, and even with all of these feelings, know that God still loves me and will never forsake me. So for me, my biggest takeaways from this class is that I can be happy again without guilt. I have a new normal. And that time does not heal all wounds, but the pain does lessen. Going through Grief Share provided me with other benefits, how to serve the Lord and His people. Since his death, since Michael's death, I've lost a 21-year-old nephew to an accidental shooting, my in-laws, and a dozen family and other friends. But I've learned that God has given me a compassionate heart for others, a good listening ear, and a desire to glorify Him through all of life's circumstances. One of my favorite verses uh, that's also grief shares is 2 Corinthians 1-4, which we were talking earlier this evening. 
which says, He comforts us in all of our troubles so we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. This year will be 17 years. Some days it feels like it all happened yesterday. But I can happily say that I remarried to a wonderful Christian man. But I can also say that I still think about Michael and what my life would have been. And I will never fully understand why God took him away from me. And right when we were turning our lives around and getting closer to God. But I also know that every day of our lives are numbered. And this was no surprise to God. Another favorite verse of mine to this day is Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will set your path straight. Lastly, and most importantly, my personal relationship with Jesus Christ grows deeper every day. I'm honored and I really feel privileged that I can spend this time that I have here together with everybody. For those of you who are new here, I hope you now have felt the love and compassion from your leaders and your co-leaders. And paraphrasing our grief share leaders, it's great to see all of you, but it's really sad as to why you're here. I pray that all of you lean into your grief and allow God to work through you as he did and continues to do with me. I know my life will never be the same, but I also know that I'll see Michael again one day. Thank you.